The Affair of the Poisons, Episode 2, Madeleine de Lagrange. Her greed was her downfall. Welcome back to a new episode from The Affair of the Poisons. I hope you've enjoyed last week's podcast about the Marquise de Brambillet. If you haven't listened to it yet, you'll find it available on various outlets such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and on my website at www. Cathedon.com. Today I want to introduce you to a young woman who claimed to hold information important enough to alert the Secretary of State for War, the Marquis de Louvois. Her name was Madeleine de Lagrange. the self-styled Demoiselle de Lagrange. Madeleine Guenibaud was born in around 1641, a woman from a rural French background. Unfortunately, nothing is known about her early life. What is known, however, is that her husband was an officer of the Crown, responsible for the collection of taxes on wine and salt, and the distribution of salt in the county of Anjou, but he was accused of dealing in goods stolen from an abbey and was promptly tried and executed. This left Madeleine a young widow. Her home and belongings confiscated under the sentence imposed on her husband, she decided to leave Anjou for Paris, where she set herself up as a fortune teller. By the early 1670s, she lived in luxury, sponsored by an elderly and rich lawyer a member of the Great Council called Jean Fourie, who indulged her everywhere, at least for a while. At that time she became known as Demoiselle de la Vange. The title Demoiselle denotes a lady of good standing, someone from a background of nobility. Clearly the good Madeleine was ambitious, aiming high. She spent her days casting horoscopes and spells for her clients and providing them with potions and poisons. It must have been a lucrative little business. She also sold so-called antidotes to clients who were worried about being poisoned. At that point, there would be quite a few men and women in Paris concerned about their health and fearing for their lives. And Madeleine cashed in on their fears and their paranoia. Without doubt, the rumour mill was much to blame. Word on the streets was that it was easy to rid yourself of pesky husbands and other relatives one broke grudges against. A growing network of fortune tellers would help you. And they did, for a handsome fee. Poisons were surprisingly easy to come by. Herbs could be harvested to extract their lethal effects, and chemicals were usually obtained through participating alchemists and pharmacists. Some poisons made it into France from Italy, where their use had been popular for a couple of centuries. There were hundreds of fortune tellers in action across Paris, mostly women of poorer background trying to make a living in a city suffering from starvation and neglect. King Louis XIV never much liked Paris, 
and the lives of the Parisians were literally miles away from his new preferred seat at Versailles. He saw them troublesome and sought to curb their demanding tendencies. Many fortune tellers were involved in harmless consultations, merely dabbling in horoscopes, likely foretelling whatever their client truly wanted, and reciting love spells. This was not banned officially, and the police tended to look the other way. People had to make a living, and mild deception, while despicable, wasn't exactly a serious crime. But it was the move from these harmless activities to peddling in poisons that turned the tide of opinion. Suddenly, innocent folk were dying, and their autopsies revealed that they were murdered. But let us go back to Madeleine. After several years, Maître Fourie began to tire of her increasing demands, accusing her to behave like a lady at court. Her life would probably not have changed too much had she not become greedy to the point of devious. In August 1676, she attended a meeting at the law court with Jean Fourie and presented proof of her marriage to the lawyer so that a new will could be drawn up with her the sole beneficiary. That in itself was not an issue. Such registrations of marriages and wills were the norm. What was unusual, though, was that the poor man died not long afterwards, after having voiced his intention to retire to the Perigueux where he'd hailed from, and apparently leaving everything to his young wife. His nephews, in expectation of their inheritance, arrived and found themselves surprised to be confronted by a grieving widow. They had no idea of the new marriage contract and the changed will until that point. Immediately they became suspicious and reported her to the Paris police at the Châtelet, where around the same time a mysterious note had also arrived accusing a certain priest of murder. The fraud was uncovered and Madeleine was promptly arrested, together with that priest, an Abbé Neil, who had apparently performed the marriage ceremony between her and the hapless Jean Fourie. But the marriage certificate was a fake, and the wedding never happened. So it transpired that it had not been the eminent lawyer who had presented himself to the notary in her company with a false certificate, but Abinia himself. Instead of being a stranger to her, he was said to have been another lover of Madeleine's. Both were incarcerated in the Châtelet, but the priest soon transferred to the conciergerie and the responsibility for him fell into the jurisdiction of the church. There, he claimed he'd done everything he did for love of the Demoiselle de la Grange, and did not say any more, not even under torture. Some proof of love indeed. Meanwhile, in January 1677, Madeleine said she had important information, but she would only share it with the Marquis de Louvois, the Secretary of State for War. But only after she claimed to have inside knowledge about a plot to kill the king, a suspicion that was always taken seriously, she was granted a meeting, although no definitive details appeared to have emerged during those interrogations. Louvain took the suspicions to the king, who was already alarmed at the rate in which poisons and potions had flooded Paris in recent years. He therefore appointed Gabriel Nicolas de la Reigny, the chief of the Paris police, to trigger an official investigation. 
This marks the beginning of the investigations into the affair of the poisons. It had already been suspected that a large network of alchemists, midwives and fortune tellers peddling in potions and poisons operated across the city. Now Lavigny wanted names. Bit by bit, Madeleine revealed some of her competitors, probably hoping for a more lenient sentence if she complied. She was kept in for questioning for a surprisingly long time, without trial, in case she would reveal anything specific about the plot to poison the king. But no such information was forthcoming, not even under torture. In the meantime, Larigny had established connections between a number of poisoners and alchemists, most notably a man called Louis de Vanon, a self-styled knight from Arles in the south of France. Vanon was already known to the authorities and had been jailed repeatedly for forgeries, yet Larigny had no firm proof of involvement in poisons. He had, however, a range of other suspicions, including the man's potential involvement in the death of the Duke of Savoy in Italy. But a link was only established when Vanon's valet, a man called La Chavoisière, visited the priest, Abbé Neo, in prison. For Larigny, that visit was proof of an extended network, and he soon considered Vanon to be one of the main players. The alchemist was arrested in December 1676, purportedly for forgery. He was held for questioning without trial to allow La Rénie to build up a case. But more about the obscure Chancellor Louis de Vanon another time. By 1679, more people had been arrested, including a midwife of the name La Bosse, who Madeleine had implicated. By then, after over two years of nothing but hints, it was clear that Madeleine's secrets about a potential assassination of the king seemed to have been non-existent. Therefore, her trial was scheduled to commence. On the 4th of February 1679, the trial was held alongside that of Abbe Neum. Both were found guilty of forgery and the murder of poor Jean Fauré. Madeleine de Lagrange and Abbe Neum were executed by hanging on the 8th of February 1679, four days after their trial. As always, their cart made a tour of the city, passing Notre Dame, where they did their penance, before it arrived on Place de Grève, unusually deserted on a cold winter's night. She was fortunate in that she did not share the punishment meted out for so many other females involved in the affair of the poison, death by burning alive. Why would that be? Did the good Demoiselle de Lagrange really have knowledge of a plot to murder the king? I think she may have been aware of rumours, as since the 1660s many courtiers had taken advantage of the services of fortune tellers and alchemists, where they bought potions, most of them fairly harmless in their effect. But poisons were an altogether different matter, one that could not be dismissed as easily by the authorities. But I do not think she was ever as important as some of her colleagues, whose clientele included such eminent persons from court. Madeleine de Lagrange seemed to have craved attention, and her death by hanging on a cold February night may have been intended by the judges to avoid her blurting out accusations related to a potential plot in public in front of a pyre, and thereby in front of many witnesses.
Who knows? We shall hear later in the series about the lords and ladies who had sought potions to gain the king's favour and poisons in case that favour was withdrawn. So keep tuning in. Join me again next week for a new episode from The Affair of the Poisons where you will discover more about the men tasked with investigating the cases. Who were they? And what were their motives? And did they have the full reign? Or were their hands tied during questioning? And if so, why? Thank you again for listening. I hope to see you next time. Take care.